guys, welcome back to the Garden Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Seccaroli, and today we are going to dive into a topic. Um, I don't really have a fancy title for this topic, but who cares? <laughs> Sometimes we gotta skip the fanciness and get straight to the point. Um, but today's episode is basically how to be the woman God is calling us to be and how to do what God is calling us to do. If you're a man, this can apply to you too. How to be the man that God is calling you to be. So the style of today's podcast is basically going to be a Bible study type style. Um, So what I'm going to go through today is um, something that I actually spoke on a few weeks ago. And instead of just like taking my recording from my message, I actually wanted to walk through it um, in a sense, just like we're at a coffee shop, just like we're sitting down for a Bible study. Um, So if you are able, I know people can listen to podcasts while driving. That's where I listen to a lot of my podcasts. Um, But you, if you are able and you have the time and you have the capacity, I actually want to encourage you to read along the story with me. Um, So in the midst of this topic, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture from Luke 4, and then we're going to look at this story and to basically learn, you know, how to be and do what God is calling us to. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you turn to Luke 4, starting at verse 14, read along with me, and let's learn how to do what God is calling us to do and be the woman that God is calling us to be together. So let's dive in. Luke 4, 14 to 30 says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you have done in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So right off the bat, we need to understand that this story in Luke chapter 4 takes place early on in Jesus' ministry. So this is, if you look at Luke chapter 4, we can see that the context of the story, he is leaving the wilderness where he was for 40 days and 40 nights when he was being tempted by the devil. And you know, when you look at that chapter 2, you can see that when he entered into the, into the wilderness, when the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, that was early and like right in the start of his ministry. So this story is just shortly after 
hear that story of Jesus being led um, into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and being tempted um, for the by the devil um, after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, another thing that we need to recognize is where the story is taking place in Luke chapter 4. And we can see that Jesus was actually in Nazareth. Now, what's interesting and what's key about Nazareth was that Nazareth was Jesus's hometown. So as we know, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. So what's really interesting about that fact is that People knew him from the time that he was a boy. So when you look at the story, you know, you kind of see that there's people interacting with him. There's people who are listening to him, um, reading out of Isaiah 61. Um, where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is fulfilling that scripture that was prophesied in Isaiah 61. And these people are interacting with him. So if this pl- this is taking place in Nazareth, which is Jesus' hometown, we can conclude that some of these people knew him since the time that he was a boy. But what's interesting is that we can see through the story that due to some of the things that Jesus said, and as we know, Jesus only said what the Father told him to say and do what the Father told him to do. Um, so we can conclude that God was telling him to say these things. And we can see that by some of the words and some of the sayings that Jesus was um, delivering to these people, that these things that Jesus was bringing up, they were getting these people in his hometown pretty angry. Like these people got so angry at him that they tried to throw him off a cliff. We can see that in verses 28 and 29. So just think about that for a second. Like Jesus is in his ministry early on. He's being led by the spirit of God and God is directing him on where to go, what to say. And Jesus said some things that offended some people and people from his own hometown tried to throw him off a cliff. Like I think sometimes we can read through some of these things in scripture and kind of like kind of bypass it kind of like it's normal but that's not normal you know like people trying to throw somebody off a cliff because of how angry they are like that's concerning you know that's not normal but I want to ask the question here what did Jesus say that made them so angry like what exactly was Jesus saying and talking about that got his own hometown people so angry at him you know, maybe you're thinking that these people were a little overdramatic, you know, because sometimes you can look at this and you can be like, okay, like settle down, Nazareth people, like you need to take a chill pill. But let's take a look back at those verses. So I'm going to reread Luke 4, starting at verse 24, and I'm going to go to 26. And it says this, truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there is a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So what's interesting about these two stories is that what these two stories have in common is that both the widow and the man with leprosy were Gentiles. And if you know things about scripture, Gentiles are non-Jews. They're basically anybody who is not Jewish. Now, this is really interesting. I checked out the John MacArthur commentary and he said this. He said, both the widow and the leper lived during times of widespread unbelief in Israel. Jesus's point was that God bypassed all the widows and lepers in Israel, yet showed grace to two Gentiles. 
Now, this is really important to note because the Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were the chosen nation of Israel. When you look throughout the Old Testament, maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're new to following Jesus. When you look throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were God's chosen people from the very beginning. And they knew that. They knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew that they were God's royal priesthood. All that's different stuff. So to say that that Gentiles were also recipients of God's blessing. So to say directly to Jews that, hey, and this is what Jesus was doing. Jesus came to create one new man. Jesus came to, to, to um, break down the barrier that separated man from God and all these things. Jesus came to not only save Israel, but to save the whole world. So Jesus, his, his mission on this world was to reconcile the whole world back to God. So by Jesus bringing up these two stories about these two um, non-Jews, these two Gentiles receiving God's blessings um, over Israel, and to say that Gentiles were also recipients of God's blessings— is a big deal. Like that is a huge deal. And another thing of the John MacArthur commentary, it says that that to say that Gentiles were also recipients of God's blessings or to suggest that divine grace might be withheld from them, yet extended to the Gentiles, Oof, this made Israelites mad. And this is exactly what we're seeing right here with the Jews in Nazareth as Jesus is talking to these these uh, people from his hometown. They got pretty upset at Jesus. Now, I can't get into um, all the details between Jews and Gentiles and all these different things. If you have any questions about, you know, what it means for, you know, Israel to be God's chosen people, um, you know, I just need to explain a little caveat. Um, God's chosen people, as the Israelites and the Jewish people doesn't mean that we're not chosen as people who aren't Jewish. Um, God's love, it, it shows no partiality. It's, it remains the same. He shows no favoritism. But God chose Israel, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They were the chosen nation of Israel so that they can show the world that they were set apart, that they were living and serving the one true God. And um, I can't get into all of that right now, but I want to say if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. I might not have the answer, but I can do research on your behalf. <laughs> So by Jesus making these bold claims, as we have covered, it made the Nazarenes super angry, so angry that they tried to throw him off a cliff. Big deal. Like, and I didn't mean that in a sarcastic way. That's a big deal. And because of other parts of scripture, you know, we can conclude that Jesus felt all human emotions. Um, so within the story, within trying to be thrown off a cliff, all these different things, I have to imagine in this moment that Jesus felt hurt. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't just probably walk away from this all happy and joyful, um, possibly, but because we know that Jesus was a hundred percent God, but also 100% mad, he was able to feel the hurt, the abandon, the rejection, the pain of human life. Um, I have to imagine that the Nazarenes and how they treated him in this moment probably affected him one way or another in a very painful way. But what's really interesting is that Jesus didn't allow their opinions to affect him and his mission. Um, he didn't let their rejection affect his identity. Instead, this this scripture, this, these verses says that he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. 
So what's interesting is that even though he probably felt rejected, even though he probably was hurt, um, I'm sure there was probably human emotions just raging around in him, he wasn't wavered from the mission that God had for him. So the question is, how was Jesus able to be bold, speak truth, and stay on mission even in the midst of rejection from his hometown? Um, Because think about it, when we're rejected, especially by people who are closest to us or people who should know us, um, we can waver in our faith and our dedication to Christ or to the mission that God has for us. We can start to doubt the things that God is calling us to do um, when the people closest to us maybe start to treat us a certain way in a negative way. um, We can start to question our worth, our value, um, like I said, the mission that God has for us. But once again, Jesus stayed on mission, not letting their hatred towards him destroy distract him uh, from what he was being called to do. And we need to look at the the key verse in this story um, is the very first verse that we read. And that was Luke 4, uh, verse 14, where it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Interesting, right? So it was the power of the Spirit that enabled Jesus to stay focused on the mission at hand. Um, it was the power of the Spirit to that enabled Jesus to continue to do what God was calling him to do, even in the midst of difficulty. So what's interesting is that if Jesus moved in the power of the Spirit, then how much more do you and I need to move in the power of the Holy Spirit? And this whole thing right now is really interesting because I don't think... Um, I know for myself, I haven't heard many messages um, that talk about Jesus and the relationship that he had with Holy Spirit um, because he, you know, he was sent by God. He was 100% man, 100% God, but Jesus also had the Holy Spirit that enabled him and empowered him to do the things that God was calling him to do. Um, So as you guys probably know, I'm no Bible scholar, but once again, if you need resources or have questions that dive more into in depth about Jesus and how he functioned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I do actually have um, a Bible teacher and a series that I think I can suggest to you. Um, I actually heard it on WDCX radio. And yeah, so if you are interested in that, feel free to reach out to me and I can give you that information. Now we have to make these distinctions really quick. So when we gave our life to Christ, the Spirit was given to us in full. Uh, So if you have genuinely repented of your sins, you have um, humbled yourself, you have recognized that you need a Lord and a Savior, that you cannot save yourself, and you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and you have chosen to follow him, in that moment, for those of us who have done that, we became born again. We have become baptized by the Spirit of God. And that means, the Bible tells us, that the Holy Spirit was deposited inside of us. We were made a new creation completely forgiven for our past, present, and future sins, and we have been given a clean slate and a fresh start. Our new identity is child of God, and you have been given the Spirit of God in able, and that has been given to you so that you are now enabled to do what God is calling you to do. But the Spirit, the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has been given to you 
in full and your new identity is child of God. Uh, Romans 8, 14 to 16 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So like I said, right now as a believer, your identity is child of God. What God says about you. You are either son or daughter of God. So I need to make that so clear that basically you don't need to work for the Holy Spirit. You have been given the Spirit of God fully by by grace through faith. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you don't need to work for it. It's been given to you in full. Amen? Amen. I hope you said amen as you're listening to this. So as much as that's true, There is still a process, a sanctification process in our journeys to know in our minds and believe in our hearts what God says about us and live and walk that out. So it's a really interesting concept of, you know, how the spirit right now, like I said, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you have become his disciple. The spirit, Holy Spirit is alive inside of you. But as we walk with him, as we talk with him, as we um, are on this journey with him in life, that sanctification process and sanctification is just a fancy word um, that means to be purified, to be set apart. And this is specifically about being set apart for the purposes of God, being conformed to the image of Christ and fulfilling the mission and the plans and the purpose that he has for you. In this process, it's the Holy Spirit who begins to reveal the sin in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who begins to convict us when we're walking astray from God's word. It's the Holy Spirit who begins to illuminate scripture as we read scripture. And once it was boring and dead and dry and looked like gibberish on a page, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, scripture comes alive and it's illuminated. And now it's bread for your soul and and and, and it just fulfills you from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit, he's the one who begins to give you that peace when you're walking with him or if you're going down a a dangerous path you know he's the one who gives you that uneasy feeling of oh I don't really understand why I shouldn't be doing this but I shouldn't do this you know it's the Holy Spirit who is now that third person of the Trinity that is alive inside of us who gives us everything we need to live this life that God is calling us to The Spirit is the one who helps us, empowers us, teaches us, reminds us, sanctifies us to be the people that God is calling us to be. And now I need to say this. We need his activity in our lives right now more than ever before. So I'm going to go through a couple things that highlight the Spirit's role in a believer's life. And you know what? I didn't cover everything. I know I'm missing a few things. Maybe I'll do a more in-depth uh, podcast about the Holy Spirit. But here's just a few things that of, of the Spirit's role in a believer's life. So John 14, 26 says that he reminds us of truth. John 14, 16, that he's with us. Galatians 5, 16, 21, he sanctifies us. Acts 1.8, he empowers us. John 14.26, he helps us. John 15.26, he testifies to Christ. 
Now, through all of this, you might be wondering, how does this all tie together? Well, my main point at the end of all of this is that we can do what God is calling us to do and we can be who God is calling us to be when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. So like I said, in Luke 4, 14, it said that Jesus returned by the power of the Spirit. Jesus was walking and being empowered by the Spirit of God that was alive inside of him that enabled and led him to do what God was calling him to do. And that's the key for you and I. If you and I want to be all that God is calling us to be, walking in full confidence, walking in our complete identity, overcoming fear, walking in in just all that God has for us, and if we want to do and fulfill the plans that God has for us, we have to surrender to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's no way there's no way you're going to get around it there's no way you're going to make it on your own if anything if you are trying to do anything in this christian walk on your own you are going to fail and like i said earlier this is a time in our world where the church needs to rise up and tap into that power that god has given us through the holy spirit because here's the thing like i said i go back to a lot of my points that i've said before the holy spirit has been given to you in full when you gave your life to Christ. Now the question is, are you using him? Are you are you talking and developing your relationship with God? Ask yourself these questions. How often are you spending time in the word? How often are you spending time with God? How often are you retreating and getting into prayer? How often are you taking that time to develop your relationship with God, making him number one, top priority in your life? And are you learning to walk with him as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go for a walk in your neighborhood, as you're with your family? Are you taking enough time developing your relationship with Christ in such a way where the Holy Spirit is being activated in your life and you're listening to the whisper that he is speaking to you in your soul and that he's saying to you through the word of God. I need to ask all of us these questions because once again, if you and I are going to make it as Christians in this world, we need to be surrendered to God. We need to be pursuing Jesus with our whole heart. We need to be surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you know what? There's so many spider webs off of that one statement that go into, well, what does that look like? And how does that look like? Trust me, this season in this podcast, we're going to get in deep, I think. <laughs> So I really hope you got something out of this podcast. Um, I really hope, well, I hope you got more than something out of this podcast, but I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been inspired. I hope you've been um, especially encouraged to get alone with God, read your Bible, get into the word, um, ask God to speak to you as you spend that time with him. Um, don't, don't just go through the motions, you know, when you're just, you know, reading your Bible or going to, you know, just going to church weekly. Like I want to ask you and I want to just remind you, you know, how much are you spending that time with God? Are you cultivating your relationship with him? And one thing that I wanted to do at the end of this podcast is that I actually wanted to read John chapter 15. But then when I started to think about it, 
I'm going to skip the reading part and I'm going to tell you to read John chapter 15. In John 15, it's a prayer from Jesus and this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible and Jesus is praying to the Father and he's just praying about abiding in God and um, how God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine and um, talks about the branches and how we're the branches that are in the vine and and how God prunes us and and, um, cleans us, you know, as we remain in him and, um, just the prayer from Jesus of saying, remain in me and I in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And I just want to encourage you, if you need something to read in scripture, go to John chapter 15 and just read, um, Jesus's words about abiding and remaining in God's love. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you through through this chapter, through this word. And, um, you know, it's, it's just amazing what happens when we just get into the word of God and when we are genuinely seeking and we genuinely, genuinely want God to talk to us. Um, it's amazing what happens when we just get into the word and, um, you know, something else that you can do, read it with a friend. You know, if you are somebody, you're not discipling anybody in your life right now, ask God who you can invest in. Ask God, um, who might want to read this along with you. Maybe it's, a fellow sister in Christ who is on the same page as you, or maybe it's somebody who's searching and you can just lead them along as well. Um, Like I said, you know, in the first episode of the season is that our mission, our goal with this podcast is to make disciples who make disciples. And sometimes we can overcomplicate discipleship. Sometimes we think we need to know everything about scripture and we have to know everything about about the Bible or we leave discipleship to people who are in the church. But that's not what God intended. Discipleship is for any and every believer. For anybody who calls themselves a Christian, that is what dis- that is who is called to disciple. So I want you to begin to pray for that as well. Pray that God would lead you, lead you somebody to disciple, to invest in. And, um, and trust me, that person, whoever that person's going to be, it's going to stretch you. You won't feel qualified at times. The people and the women that I have discipled throughout my life, the questions that they have, the things that they have asked me has stretched me. But what's the, the beautiful thing about it is that it's an opportunity to learn and grow together. And, um, if you get it, you know, with a group of women, or maybe one friend or two friends, you will be so encouraged to see the fruit of what can happen of uh, women coming together in a very intentional way, just reading scripture. That's it. Like you don't need to get a book. You don't need to get, um, you know, like resources or a DVD. Get get the resources. Like make sure you have a study Bible. Maybe get some commentaries. You know, get those kinds of resources so you're on the, the right page. Um, so you're not like, you know, what am I saying? So that you're not, you know, saying that scripture is saying one thing when it's really not. So get those kinds of resources that will help you in your study Bible. But like, you don't always need a DVD series. You don't always need that stuff. Um, sometimes, like I said, we overcomplicate Bible study. And sometimes for a successful Bible study, you need the Bible. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of a dust statement, but I feel like us Americans have like really like, um, overcomplicated it. So anyways, so once again, if you need something to read or even at the close of this podcast sometime tonight, read John chapter 15. Let the word wash over you. Let God encourage you and um, speak to your soul as you read about abiding in Christ and the fact that we cannot do 
anything that he's calling to do um, without him. Um, We can't do anything without the spirit of God, without the spirit of Christ living inside of us. So I hope you um, enjoyed this podcast and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, friends. Thank you.